Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. Hey, everybody out there. Welcome to No Script, No Problem on the Believe Podcast Network, the number one podcast network for professionals. Do you believe? No Script, No Problem is the show that takes you behind the curtain of unscripted television like never before. We've got insight from some of the best in the business of reality television, documentary series competition shows, social experiments, true crime, and much more. From The Prophet to Botched to Love is Blind to Pool Kings. If it's unscripted, we'll get into it. I'm your host, Steve Berkowitz. I'm a 15-year veteran producer of unscripted television. I've done shows like Extreme Makeover, Home Edition, BattleBots, Outdaughtered, The Rachel Zoe Project, and Pros vs. Joes. Each week, I talk to the talented people who have made unscripted TV, documentaries, true crime, game shows, you name it. Not just something that you watch or you consume, but a cultural phenomenon. Now, if you enjoy No Script, No Problem, please subscribe and rate the show. It's available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Play, Stitcher, Luminary, and tune in. You can also find it on Believe.com and at Believe Podcasts. And you can follow me on Twitter at Steve Berkowitz and on Instagram at Steve M. Berkowitz. If you're interested in advertising on the show, please contact Believe at Believe.com. All right, let's get started. Today, my guest is one of the most prolific producers of unscripted content in the business. She's also the CEO of her own company, which has expanded into podcasting and done very well there. Additionally, she has done her fair share of acting and hosting while also appearing as a guest on The Howard Stern Show, Conan, and The Daily Show. So I am definitely excited for this episode. She has executive produced such unscripted series as The Vet Life, Pool Kings, Heartland Docs DVM, Manson, The Women, Method of a Serial Killer, Desert Flippers, Kemper on Kemper, Inside the Mind of a Serial Killer, Hit Properties with Nathan Morris, and Pope, the Most Powerful Man in History. Please welcome the CEO of Glass Entertainment Group, Nancy Glass. Nancy, how are you? I'm fine. How are you? I'm I'm wonderful. You know, I'm doing as well as you can be expected as we kind of continue to deal with this wonderful pandemic. Where are you? Where am I? I am in yeah. Los Angeles. And I know you're, oh. you're in Philadelphia. So how are things there? Uh, well, it probably isn't as hot as where you are. How hot is it there? We've, we're in that June gloom uh, stage. So <laughs> it's, it's like hot one day and then it'll be overcast and not, you know, not that bad today. It's very overcast. We just, I just want to get back out there, start filming. What about you? Well, we do, and we have a plan to do that. We have opened our office. We are actually opening it in stages, and we are all wearing masks. We have hand sanitizer all over uh, our office. We put in um, dividers. We normal we had an open office. Now everybody has cubicles, but they're super cool cubicles because nice. our aesthetic is that we want to have a great looking office and a great place for people to work. Well, that's fantastic. Okay, because one of the things I've thought about a lot is, you know, this is really an opportunity to innovate. You know, a lot of people are kind of frustrated because it's like, oh, we're going to have to make changes to the way we do things. But it's also an opportunity to make positive changes. Right. So can you elaborate a little bit more on 
maybe some of the, the, the ways you are rethinking how to do production or how to, how to run your business? Well, I don't know that it's all positive. It just is innovative. Um, we are finding ways to send camera kits out to locations, have people set them up themselves. We um, direct via iPad. We have on one location, we have an iPad on a stick, <laughs> an executive producer talking to everybody in the field. So um, we do things like that. We also think about the kinds of things um, that are a little bit easier to shoot. But frankly, we're very proud of the kind of technical um, expertise we have. So it sort of cuts into that. But we are getting out there now. Have you just started to get back out there and start filming? Or, or are you full on? You've got a bunch of your, your projects out there going. No, we just aired a special on HGTV called Fix My Fail that was all self-shot. Okay. We are doing a self-shot show also for Magnolia. We are going back in the field for the vet life. We are uh, producing in-house for uh, My Life on MTV, because that's mostly a clip show. Sure. Going back in the field in Nebraska for um, Heartland Vets. We are going out in the field, back in the field for Lincoln, which is a six-part docuseries on um, CNN. And we are back in the field for our oxygen shows as well. Great. So we are actually cutting down on the crew, but only only for public safety. We are finding ways to still deliver the kind of um, quality that we have promised. Yeah. Well, let me ask you then about, you mentioned cutting down on crew because I've had discussions with my fellow freelancers there is a fear on our end that that's going to become the norm now that, you know, there's going to be a lot of job loss. Are you, do you feel like this may be just a temporary thing? And once we kind of hopefully find a, a balance that will return to where you have a normal size crew, or is this going to be the mainstay? Well, I don't think anybody knows what normal is anymore. I think that it is always better to have a couple more people, but you don't need and an unnecessary amount, um, and maybe, no offense, but people outside of L.A. have a very different view of what a crew is. I remember um, once on Tanked, we had a, a uh, an executive producer out of L.A., and there was a woman on the set, and I cutting up fruit. And I said, what is she doing? And the executive producer says, well, I hired her to cut fruit so to impress you. And I said, do you want to impress me, really? Can you send her home? She can cut a fruit in her own kitchen. I mean, what are you people doing? So um, I think we've always run in a, a smart but practical way. Also, we don't have freelancers. Very few freelancers. Everybody's staff. Okay. So people are really working hard to make it work. Uh, one of the things that your company did over, you know, during this quarantine, during this shelter in place, you started a podcast, one of your, mm-hmm. one of your, uh, People, Andrea Gunning started this very right. fun podcast, Dating Diaries Quarantine Confessions. <laughs> yes, she and, did. And well, it's kind of taken off, right? It's totally taken off. Yeah, there's been 400,000 downloads so far. Uh, Andrea, who is my vice president of business affairs, and Ben Fetterman, who is the VP of business development, came to me and said, by the way, we have a successful podcast company. Yeah. So they came to me and said, 
we want to do this podcast on dating. And I said, uh, no, <laughs> no, we're not doing that. Cause you know, it's my money. I mean, I have to start it before we get our ads. Sure. And they were like, come on, we want to do it. And I was like, all right. And it's great. <laughs> I've learned more about their sex lives than I ever wanted to know. I have to say, and I've learned terms I never heard of like BOB, which means battery operated boyfriend. Never knew about that. <laughs> But, um, but you know, it's doing really well and they're happy. And also part of it is when you, when everybody's staff, you want them to be happy. Sure. You don't want people to be frustrated. Yeah. And I thought it was, I don't do crazy things, but I thought it would be worth it. And it was far more worth it than I could have imagined. That's great. Now let's stick with the podcast business because. Okay. I- when did you make that decision that you were going to invest in a podcast business? And why do you feel like it's been successful thus far? Well, good question. I have a background in radio. So I understand this concept of theater of the mind, immersing yourself in what you think, what the story is. No. So what happened was I had an idea for a show uh, with Kim Goldman. And I wanted to, went out there to sell it and I could not. And I thought she's got a great story to tell and I know how to do that. So we put in the money and we did it and we got 7 million downloads so far. It was on a lot of top 10 lists and it got everybody really excited. And we assembled a staff of people who have experience in the audio world and people I knew, and we have built up a pretty big podcast roster right now. And it's a lot of fun. I think everything's fun, but this is particularly fun. One of the things I've noticed about your career, right? And it's, it is, is that it's very eclectic, right? From hosting, acting. And then even then when you get into producing, so many people find a niche, right? Whether that's cars or bit, you know, a Mark Burnett, big, huge Mm -hmm. stage shows. You've really right. found a way to do everything from, you know, animal shows like The Vet Life, renovation shows like Desert Flippers, and now you're big in the true crime space with shows like Manson, The Women. How have you been able to dip your toe into all these different genres when I think, personally, there's such a need for the genre-style producer? You know what? You're absolutely right. And it's very hard to switch. When we did only... HGTV shows, people would only buy a renovation show. Then we got into the animal space. That was great. Then we got in the transactional space. But crime, we could not get into. There was no way. But then I thought, I've got to find something that I can get the IP on and maybe turn it into a TV show. And I knew that there was a Pulitzer Prize winning excuse me, Pulitzer Prize nominated author who had written a book on the oldest cold case crime to be solved in America. And I approached him and I said, I want to do a show on this. I want to turn it into a TV show. And he said, no, he was talking to Peacock. He was talking to a lot of companies and he just didn't want to do it with us because we didn't have the experience. Right. So I slept with him (laughs) and I got the show. Because he also happens to be my husband. Okay. I was so pissed. He didn't want to give it to us. I mean, really? I have to audition? Come on. Wow. But anyway, it was great. 
it was nominated for awards. It was really fun to do. And it got us into the true crime area. That's phenomenal. Yes. And yes, wow. I also threatened to tell the kids on him. So he. Yeah. I mean, yeah. was he in the doghouse for an extended period of time? No, he knows he's never in the doghouse. Okay. <laughs> that, that's it. That is a, that's a great story. Um, yeah. <laughs> yes. Oh, sorry. There he is. No, that's my dog. Come here, thing. Thing. Come here, thing. My dog's name is Thing. Because <laughs> she looks like Thing One from Dr. Seuss. What um what was the name of that book slash uh, show? It's that- called Footsteps in the Snow. The story was that um, two little girls, 1953, it's the first snow of the season, and they go out to play. And when they go out to play, a man comes over and says, um, can I give you a piggyback ride? <laughs> and one of the little girls says, yes. He gives her a piggyback ride. It comes back. And then he says to the other little girl, you want one? And she says, I need to go home and get my gloves. So she goes home and she gets her gloves and she comes back out. And her friend is gone and the man is gone. And all that's left behind are footsteps, footsteps in the snow. In the snow. The snow. Yeah. Even the way you said that, Nancy, <laughs> felt very cinematic. And I want to know what happened next. Yes. It's very good. Yes. That was really well, good. Solved. That was really, yeah, that was really good. That's what you got to, you know, yeah. Yeah. We're all in the business of selling. I know. I know. Um, So let let me ask you about true crime. So once you got in there, um, you've done, yeah, so you did something with, on Manson, you've did something on Dahmer, um, and then you did something on Kemper. So let me ask you, what do you think the fascination is with true crime and with serial killers in particular? Well, I think in this extreme world we live in, nothing is as interesting as uh, reality, as what's real. The unintended humor and the unintended horror of humanity is real. And I think that's what people like. The reason I did the Jeffrey Dahmer thing was in my old life as a news person, I became Jeffrey Dahmer's closest confidant from the day he was arrested to the day he died. Wait, I know that seems wait, weird. Wait, I know, what? I know, I know. Everybody goes, what? Wait, no, what? it's true. Okay. It's true. Right. That, that, yeah. that requires a follow-up. Okay. What? <clears throat> so, so you and Dahmer are like, yeah. you were, you and Dahmer were tight. We weren't tight. That's ridiculous. Okay. No, we just talked on the phone. He trusted me and he talked to me. All right. So. And then I did one of the only interviews ever done with him. What, in what capacity was this what was there a show or was this part yes of- i was um what was it i was uh i think i was weekend anchor and uh senior reporter on inside edition okay i think it was when i worked on inside edition got it okay and so you got to interview jeffrey dahmer what was that yeah. like it's very interesting um i mean i always tell people that what was chilling was how normal he appeared you know, it's a real relief when a monster is a visible creature. Yeah. When a monster is in disguise, that's what's terrifying. I love interviewing people who are really different from me because I learn something. So obviously this person is the most different from you <laughs> as can be. Well, that's what, a nice assumption. You don't yeah, know how many uh, people That's I've true. Killed. I don't know. Um, but 
what did you learn from Dahmer that you kind of like either think about or take away from it, you know, that you will always keep with you? I like exploring people's psychology or psychopathology. And um, all, that's all I can think of is really why he did what he did and the life that he had and uh, really how horrible all of it was and what people didn't really know. For example, he never, ever wanted to go to trial. He wanted just to die. Yeah. And uh, he didn't work. But the police and the prosecutor and judge there and a lawyer, you know, they all wanted the fame of a trial. So that's why they went to trial. But yeah. he took his glasses off in the courtroom so he wouldn't have to watch it. <sighs> yeah. So they're very, very interesting things. And the other thing. I've learned in the years covering stories like that was that nothing is black and white. You want to think somebody's all bad yeah. or all good, but they're not. There's lots of gray. I mean, look at this John Bolton story. Right. He is not all good and he is not all bad. It's all gray. Is there anything that Dahmer said to you that like you're like, oh, that is chilling or that you will like just one line that you'll always remember? Um, no, uh, the thing I would say is what I learned, which was that he stayed up all night and he slept all day because he couldn't face the daylight. Oh, he also believed that he would go, um, that he was saved, that, that he, you know, it was a prison conversion. He believed, uh, he was born again and that he would be forgiven. Uh, by Jesus. And I said to him, so when you die, where are you going? And he said, well, that's, that's a good question. He didn't have an answer. <laughs> wow. He was a psychopath, not an idiot. Yeah. No, I'm kidding. Wow. No, it's very, you know, it's all very interesting yeah. stuff. So we have very interesting jobs, don't we? We do. It's really, yeah. We and do. We, you have a front row seat to planet earth. <laughs> Yes, the good, the bad, the ugly. I want to backtrack for a sec and just talk about, I mean, you just literally said that you interviewed Jeffrey Dahmer. So let's backtrack yeah. for a second, talk about how you got into being, you know, uh, such a big producer of unscripted content. But you you were a host, obviously a host and a reporter. Then how do you yeah. go, how do you go from like being a host to becoming then a really successful producer, starting your own production company and- that, that sort of thing. That's a big transition, I feel. Well, first of all, I had no idea that it was a big deal. And second of all, I always wrote and produced my own stuff. I was never got a job because of my looks. I always got a job because I could outwork anybody. And um, I, I was just, I was a single mother and I needed a job and I didn't want to work locally in Philadelphia. I wanted to do something bigger. And I really had no idea how to start a business. I mean, when they first... When I first sold a show, somebody said, um, you know, what's your what's your line item for insurance? And I thought, what am I insuring? I have <laughs> no idea. No idea. So it's it, you know, I learned along the way. I was I was very lucky, I would say, not having the contacts or leaving um you know, or or leaving a network with a uh, an output deal. I had none of that. So I was very lucky and we worked very hard and built a business. I mean, it's been 20 years. Right. Right. Um, what advice do you have for people who are trying to make that transition to becoming 
business owners. They want to they wanna take that step. Go for it. Absolutely go for it. Just work your ass off. I mean, I really don't. I think that if you deliver, you can make it. I really do. I mean, I know there's politics and there's, there's all and there's whim and there's all that other kind of stuff. But if you put your, the money on the screen, you're easy to work with, come up with good ideas and quality programming, you'll do it. So renovation is also a big part of your slate. Um, mm-hmm. And, you know, I mean, look, HG DIY, which is now becoming Magnolia, Obviously, these are similar to true crime, really. You just have the loyal fans. How do you attack the HD, the the reno genre? Is it just about finding the talent or do you follow the, you know, that home reno trend? What is it about that genre that you really like as a producer? And how do you attack that from a development standpoint? You know, it's hard. That is one of the hardest things to develop for because there is an expectation that there will be a change. I mean, there are certain tropes that you have to hit. So how do you make it different and at the same time make it appealing? I think the answer is the talent. Yeah. I think you have to find really good talent. Now you have, correct me if I'm wrong, but you have one coming up, Frozen in Time, right? Yes. Okay. Yes, with Maureen McCormick from the Brady Bunch. Yes. Tell me about, tell me a little bit about that and how excited are you to be working with Maureen McCormick from the Brady Bunch? She is amazing. Can I tell you that, you know, on air talent, they're rarely what they appear to be. She is exactly what she appears to be. She's so nice and she's smart and she knows her stuff. She knows design and she'll swing a hammer. I mean, she's great. Nice. So I'm very excited because that's a show about, it is a little different. It's a show about people who buy a house that's stuck in an era. Okay. And then we go in and we renovate it to be the best of that era. Oh, nice. Okay. It's really fun. Great designer on it. I mean, it's just terrific. Good. I like the, yeah, I like that concept because I, I was, when you said it first, I was like, oh, she's going to update it. And then no, you're not. You're going to, yeah, that's no. really cool. Okay. I like mm. that. Um, and then the animal space, you do a lot for like the Nat Geo Wild Animal Planet. Um, obviously in America, we love our pets and everything. Um, is that what attracted you to kind of tell your team and for you to dig into that, um, to go with shows like vet life and heartland docs and tanked, or did you see it as, okay, there's, you know, we, this is a space that we can occupy space that we can take advantage of. What was it that attracted you and your company to go after that? The truth is it's always the talent. Yeah. perusing, you know, reading articles, perusing the internet, um, looking through every kind of outlet you possibly can. And we see talent that we think is really good, has a really good concept. Tanked was the thing that got us into that. Actually, that was brought to us by the high school, a guy named Mike Scorus, who is, um, he works over at Fox. He's a, um, he works as an AD over at Fox and he was high school friends with the two guys who starred and tanked and brought us that. And we were able to create a show around it. And once you do that, motion attracts motion. Once we did that, then the, the animal space space was open to us. And we just started searching for talent. And then you have these big documentary event series, which are yeah. a total challenge amongst, the, you know, unto themselves, which like Pope 
I mean, like that is as big of a of a challenge as you get. And now you're doing Lincoln. Tell me about yeah. Pope. Um, I grew up, shocking, I know the name Berkowitz, but I went to 12 years of Catholic school. So I was very intrigued to see this. Tell me about the challenges you faced doing that. Did you have to deal with, how much did you deal with the Catholic Church? How, how difficult was that? Actually, they were great. Wow. We did deal with the church. They were fantastic. They gave us um, access to the archives. They were able, they discussed every kind of issue, even, um, you know, how the, the Vatican dealt with the Nazis. Even They were open about all of it. It was really fun. It was real. And I don't say fun a lot, but it, it is learning to me is fun. Mm-hmm. Going down into the Vatican archives was pretty amazing to see the letter that Henry VIII wrote to the Pope asking for an annulment of his marriage to Catherine of Aragon so that he could, you know, marry somebody else, um, uh, you know, so he could marry Anne Boleyn. So, uh, and seeing that was pretty amazing. Yeah. And, you know, there were all the cardinal stamps on it and there was a ribbon that went over it and we had guards with us. And I said, I said to my camera guy, the ribbon is in the shot and the guard said, you can move it. I was like, with my hands. (laughs) He was like, yeah. I was like, how many people touch this thing? And he said, well, not very many. I got to tell you, not very many. So it was really interesting. And one side um, note. So I was, uh, so we're in the Vatican and um, way down deep. And we were dealing with this phenomenal Irish cardinal. Just loved him. And so he walks in one day and he says to me, oh, that story about Matt Lauer. That's terrible. And I'm like, what? (laughs) I had no idea what was going on here. But he knew. And I called my husband who runs Inside Edition. I was like, yeah. what is going on in your country? Here at the Vatican, it's fantastic. Mm-hmm. So I loved working with them. Um, and the Lincoln Project is also very exciting. I'm very, ex- learned- yeah, I'm very excited for that. So t- can you t- what can you tell us about the, the Lincoln Project for CNN? Well, it's really, uh, listen, I learned a lot. Lincoln, for example, originally did not want to free the slaves. What he wanted to do if they did, if they were emancipated, was either send them back to Africa or give them their own state. He evolved into somebody who understood what was wrong and how he had to fix it. But he didn't come to it easily. Um, And you really have to admire him for, for evolving, for listening, for seeing what was going on. Um, Another thing I can tell you is that Mary Lincoln very misunderstood. Yeah. Her st- so here's a story about her. She's sure. in her hotel room in Chicago. And, you know, her three of her sons have died. And her husband's died. And there's a knock on the door. And it's one of her husband's former law partners. And he says, Mary, you're under arrest. I've come to take you to trial. She's like, What? She gets dressed. They go across the street where she's told she's being put on trial for insanity. Whoa. A judge has been seated and so has uh, a jury. And the jury is all made of very prominent Chicagoans who are guaranteed to convict her. 
She's been appointed a lawyer, there's a prosecutor, and sitting next to the prosecutor is the man most interested in getting her convicted, the man who actually swore out the warrant against her, her son. Wow. Yeah, yeah. He yeah. wanted her out of the way. He was embarrassed by her. So, That's... and she'd had her problems. She was, I mean, she was in such grief and such pain. And she was, they gave her um, belladonna, which of course creates hallucinations, you know, to calm her nerves. Sure. And she certainly was a shopaholic and had a little bit of OCD, but she sure wasn't crazy. There's a lot of really, and they, oh, here's another thing. Okay, so one of the big battles in uh, it, at the start of the Civil War, and I'm trying to remember now which battle it was, um, people were convinced that it was going to be over like in an hour. <laughs> so they went with picnic lunches, and they sat on the edge of the battlefield to watch the battle. It seems like a nice, nice, you know, you know, nice thing to do in the middle of the afternoon. Just go watch. Isn't that crazy? Yeah, just go watch blood and gore. Sure. sure. Uh-huh. Yeah. So in light of current events, you know, with the Black Lives Matter movement and really the massive uprising that we're having from, from a social justice perspective, do you look at Lincoln in a different way? Do you think the audience will look at Lincoln in a different way? No, that's a good question. I don't know. I don't know. He certainly wasn't perfect. And, um, I, you know, he certainly wasn't, he wasn't perfect, but what he did was so important. Sure. And, uh, I don't know, so much is going on in this country right now uh, with that. And I, it's really... I have to say on a personal level, there was so much I didn't know. I thought I knew. And I just, my, I have so many friends and employees who just told me stories that broke my heart. Yeah. There's so much going on. It's really hard to digest and comment. I'm certainly not an expert, but I can tell you that employees and friends have told me stories of their own experiences that have broken my heart and that make me feel foolish for not knowing. Mm -hmm. so. Yeah. I, look, I mean, I think, and I did a full episode. Uh, the last episode that I did was about race in reality television. And I had some fantastic producers who told some stories about racism on set, racism they've dealt with. And I just think that those conversations have to happen. We have to yeah. listen and learn. And um, coming out of COVID here, um, yes. Is there, what do you, where do you think, like, who do you think is going to be the winner here coming out of COVID? Is it the the producer or companies that are able to pump out, like you were saying, you guys did a self-shot show. Is it that those types of companies who've been able to do the Amy Schumer cooking shows or the celebrities getting haircuts type shows? Or is it the companies who've been planning, like they're ready to go once everyone's back up and running, you know, they're ready to go. Do you feel like there's a strategy that's going to be beneficial? Uh, I think every time I know what's going to happen, the entire world changes. I do know that I don't care about celebrities getting haircuts. <laughs> um, <laughs> I'm but sorry. Nancy? I don't. 
<laughs> I don't care. I'm a horrible person. I don't. No, I, I really don't. But um, I, I'm not sure who's going to come out on top. Yeah. I'm really not. I mean, you know, the networks are determined. They, yeah. they cut budgets a lot. Sure, sure. And uh, we're determined to hold on to our people. Yeah. And I think you just have to, I think the only solution for production companies is just to get more work. Yeah. Because it's harder and harder to make it and more and more companies are going out of business. Are you encouraged by what you're hearing from the networks or are you reticent about, you know, the, the rest of 2020? It's every network is so different. I can tell you when this broke, Oxygen and uh, and Natio Wild, they were on the phone with us in one second. You know, what can you do? How do we fix? How do we make this work? Yeah. How, how do we make our shows? And HGTV, same thing. And then Magnolia was the same way. Yeah. There are other networks that aren't saying that. They're saying, you know what we're going to do? We're just going to pull the plug for now. Wow. We don't know what to do. Yeah. Really? Oh, and CNN was also incredible. They were like, we're going to pay you to shut down. They were incredible. That That's reassuring. It really is. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think that the big companies really have understood the pressure that's on us and have been very helpful that way. What do you think is the key to getting a show back up and running, uh, in your opinion? It's a lot of baby steps. The most important thing is that your crew and your talent feels good about getting back to work. The network, most of these networks are being so um, vigilant and diligent about safety and um, adhering to COVID guidelines. So um, I think you have to, it's a combination of working with the network and working with your team to make sure everybody feels okay. Yeah. No, that makes sense. This is not, there are no easy answers here. Nobody's ever been here before. Yeah. Talk to me about some of your favorite stories just in terms of the past 20 years and these, these amazing shows that you've done. Is there an interview? Is there a moment that sticks out to you as like, oh, I will always remember that? Uh, whether it's like a key, key sale or it's a moment with a piece of talent, is there a couple things that you could – talk to my audience about just in terms of pulling the curtain back and sharing, uh, you know, a special moment. You know, it's funny. I, I love what I do so much. I can't wait to get to work every day. I mean, I always say I'm get up ready to bite the ass off a bear. (laughs) So for every single show we've done, there's been a great moment. Um, you know, I'm tanked, uh, working with Tracy Morgan. What a, Fabulous guy. That's awesome. Smart, smart, smart. I can tell you something. I was at a party when I first began, a network party. And they were playing our show on a big screen. And somebody standing next to me said, I love that show. That's so good. And my heart like filled because when you're on air talent, people are always going to say to you, I love you. And they don't don't know who you are, you know, right? they think you're somebody completely different. Um, And, but when somebody said, I really liked that show and they didn't know I had anything to do with it, that was like one of the happiest moments of my life. Yeah. So 
I love the shows and I get excited about every single one and I never take it for granted. I never think, oh, this show's been on the air for eight seasons. I don't have to watch it. There isn't an episode of a show, a first cut episode, rough cut, that goes out of my door without my seeing it. There isn't a fine cut that goes out without my seeing it. And then I watch the masters on the air. I like it. I like it. might it. be a little bit more obsessed no. than other people. I know other people kind of let go more than right. I do, but I just like it too much to do that. I like that. No, I mean, that's why you make the, that's why you make the content because you care about it. And uh, I like that. Yeah. Um, all right. Last question. What, yes. uh, what are you watching right now? And what should people be watching? Oh gosh. Oh, I watch so much television. It's <laughs> insane. I mean, you would think I was out of my mind. Okay. Uh, I'll watch any British procedural and okay. even halfway funny love reality competitions. Um, gosh, where do I start? I'm watching top chef. Cause I always do. Okay. I was watching black AF cause I love that. <laughs> okay. Um, I know, I know. Um, I love Succession. Okay, yeah, that's a good one. City of Angels. See, I, I like, I like any kind of sci-fi. This is a terrible question. I couldn't even begin to answer this question. Why is that a terrible question? I think- because I just I watch everything. That's good. No, that's I good. watch five hours of television a day. <laughs> Isn't that, but isn't that the American average? I think that's, I think that's what Americans average is like five hours. Yes. So, well, yeah, that's what I do. Yeah. You and I are right in that same, same spot. Um, Excellent. Yeah. I watched, um, so I watched Too Hot to Handle. Have you seen? Oh yeah. I have not seen that. Should uh, I watch that? It's the ultimate guilty pleasure. It's oh, like, really? Oh, I love guilty pleasures. It's the cheekiness, Excellent. the British, like Australian cheekiness. And really? Yes. I think you will love it. Like, my, <laughs> my, like, it's very rare that I will binge a reality dating show. Wait a minute. Never. I never binge a reality dating show. Oh, I binged da- uh, Love is Blind, but I, it annoyed me after a while. Yes. So I'm with you there. I, I binged that because my friends told me I had to, not yes. because I enjoyed it. This, no. I was laughing. I was just laughing hysterically. Whoever cast it did a phenomenal job, and I I applaud them. So that would be my recommendation. If you need like a new guilty pleasure, it would be too hot to handle. On Netflix. Well, I will go watch. I will go watch. All right. Well, Nancy, thank you for giving me time today. I know you you are super busy, so I really appreciate it. (laughs) Thank you. It's really nice talking to you. (laughs) Okay. All right. (laughs) Take care. All right. Now for everybody listening, if you enjoy No Script, No Problem, please subscribe, download, and rate the show. It is available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Play, Stitcher, Luminary, and TuneIn. You can also find it at Bleave.com and at Bleave Podcasts. You can follow me on Twitter at Steve Berkowitz and Instagram at Steve M. Berkowitz. Once again, please remember to subscribe, download, and rate it with five stars. You can also write a question if you have one, and then I can answer it on the show. Email those questions to me at noscriptnoproblempodcast at gmail.com. If you're interested in advertising on the show, please contact Believe 
at Believe.com. Thanks to Mike DeLay and Real Voice LA for all the great audio. And thank you for listening. Until next time, I'm Steve Berkowitz for No Script, No Problem. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.